Hi everyone, welcome to the Natural Curiosity Project. I'm Steve Shepard. Hi everyone, I'm Steve Shepard, the host of the Natural Curiosity Project podcast. Today the topic is actually, well actually I'm not sure what to call it, so instead of trying to come up with a title, let me just tell you a story. I did my undergraduate studies at the University of California at Berkeley. Actually, I did my first year at Texas Tech in Lubbock. Uh, that's in the northern part of Texas, which means that as a sophomore, I transferred from a school where they yelled at you if you walked on the grass to a school where it was okay to smoke it. No culture shock there. Anyway, going to school at Berkeley, which we called Cal, was like going to school at a really weird version of Disneyland. We didn't have rides unless you count the Humphrey Gobart, the shuttle bus that took students and faculty back and forth to the Bay Area Rapid Transit train station. The campus was sort of a theme park. Cal is an urban campus right in the middle of the city of Berkeley, snugged right up against the Berkeley Hills. If you can imagine a gigantic lollipop where Telegraph Avenue is the stick, the campus is the candy at the top of the stick. Telegraph dead ends into Sproul Plaza, which is the psychic center of the campus and the place where all of the free speech activity and most of the unrest happened in the 1960s. Ludwig's Fountain sent squarely in the middle of the plaza. It became famous when it appeared in the movie The Graduate. And like Disneyland, we had all sorts of characters wandering around. Man, did we have characters. There was an older woman there every day who dressed like a giant bumblebee. No one knew why. There was a guy in his mid-thirties who wore shapeless green pants and a faded orange t-shirt every day and carried a plastic bag with two oranges in it. He was the kindest, gentlest guy you could imagine, or at least I thought he was, until one day when a great big dog jumped up on a little kid in the middle of the plaza. The guy just about beat that dog to death with those oranges. There was the guy who stood in the same place every day, dressed in a silver spacesuit, who sold property on the moon. I still have my deed for five acres in Tycho Crater. We had streakers that no one paid attention to, a guy who used to come to my organic chemistry class every day dressed in a gorilla suit, another who used to show up in the physical sciences lecture hall wearing nothing. Again, nobody cared. It was just Berkeley, or berserkly as so many of us called it. Was it shocking? Sometimes, but we just shrugged it off as an entertaining part of campus life. We also had some pretty remarkable professors. I took a botany class from a guy named Melvin Calvin, whom I later learned won a Nobel Prize in 1961 for figuring out how photosynthesis works. It's called the Calvin Cycle. I took a chemistry class from Glenn Seaborg, another Nobel Prize winner, who discovered 10 transuranium elements and even has one named after him, Seaborgium, element number 106. And then, of course, we had the wackadoodles. In my sophomore year, I had a very demanding genetics course. In fact, one of the toughest courses I've ever taken. It was really three complete courses taught in a single semester, and it was bone-crushing. It included molecular biology of the gene, human genetics, and population genetics. At one point, a guest speaker visited the class, a professor named Arthur Jensen. He was a gifted psychology professor who did important work on psychological measurement theory, but that work was overshadowed by his controversial view on eugenics, the relationship between race and intelligence, which he argued had some genetic basis in fact. Well, we listened to what he had to say, asked a few questions, pushed back on some points, 
and when the hour was over and he stopped talking, we got up, applauded politely, and left, most of us thinking that the guy was a terminal nutcase. And that was it. We didn't throw things, we didn't scream out in horror over the fact that the guy was expressing blatantly racist viewpoints that damaged our delicate sensibilities. We didn't turn our backs on the guy. Some people got up and left halfway through, which was their right. What we did do was listen, ask questions, and then choose to disagree. We understood that just because the guy believed what he believed didn't make him right, or for that matter, us wrong. The reason I'm talking about this is because the subject of that class was genetics, and one of the key tenets of genetics is that genes go through a rigorous environmental scrubbing on an ongoing basis, and the only ones that get to hang around are those that survive the test of, well, survival. If they're stronger because they've hybridized with other genes and now have the best qualities of all of them, they're stronger for it. We weren't irretrievably changed by Professor Jensen's point of view or damaged by what he had to say because this wasn't our first academic rodeo. Look, I'm a baby boomer. I'm a member of a generation that had more than its share of things to disagree with, and we did, sometimes loudly and violently. We were exposed to many points of view, which we were allowed to, in fact, encouraged to, consider and to then discard without a second thought and move on if we didn't agree with them. We weren't weakened by that exposure. We became stronger. Our beliefs became stronger because we developed intellectual hybrid vigor. That exposure helped us to better understand and stand behind our own beliefs. When I read about controversial speakers being denied the right to give a talk on a college campus because their views are disagreeable, I have to say I'm kind of bothered by that and more than just a little bit puzzled. And it has nothing to do with supporting their point of view or trying to make a case for First Amendment rights. It has to do with intellectual hybrid vigor. Universities are places where learning is cultivated and incubated, a place where people have the gift of being awash in a vast sea of knowledge, the gift of being able to absorb as much of it as they like. Each of us is a crucible, an empty vessel, into which people far smarter than ourselves pour insights, observations, and yes, opinions, which then get mixed with our own experiences and perspectives. As a student, I was in a constant state of bombardment by professors, my peers, the news on TV and radio and print, even the wackadoodles that chanted their often outlandish ideas and wacky beliefs all over the campus. I listened to all of them, kept some of their ideas, and comfortably tossed a lot of them aside. But do you know why I was comfortable tossing them aside without a second thought? Because I listened to all of them and then chose to keep what worked for me. Those ideas, good or bad, right or wrong, believed or not, made me who I am, a curious, knowledge-hungry person with a clear understanding of why I believe the things I do, even when I consider ideas that I don't agree with. Look, I don't like green peas. It's pretty much the only vegetable on the planet that I absolutely cannot stand. But the only reason I know I can't stand them is because I've tried to eat them several times and always with the same result. How would I know if I didn't at least try them? So people, eat your intellectual peas. Don't be afraid of the possibility of not liking them. You have to try them before you'll ever really know. There's nothing scary about peas, and an idea you don't like can't hurt you but knowing about it will make you stronger and smarter. Something I can't say about peas. I'm Steve Shepard with The Natural Curiosity Project. Thank you for listening. 
The mission of the Natural Curiosity Project is to tell the stories of amazing moments in scientific discovery and accomplishment. If there's a story you'd like to hear, or would like to suggest a story, or just want to chat about the amazing world of science, please send a message to steve at shepherdcom.com. That's steve at s-h-e-p-a-r-d-c-o-m-m dot com.